Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Starting a new teaching series today called Together We're Growing. And I brought along with me... um, uh, an unassembled, adjustable shop stool with bracket. Uh, yeah, this is from one of the best places on earth to buy stuff and things. It's called Harbor Freight. Have any of you ever been? Okay, six of you. Uh, okay, even some of the ladies have been to Harbor All right, Karen. Okay, some of you, if you don't know, you need to know. Okay, I also do support Home Depot and Lowe's, especially any place that carries Stanley Black & Decker products. Okay, any place that... But, um, I brought with me this unassembled stool that I bought a few weeks ago thinking I would assemble it that day. And I don't know if you're like me, but any time that I get something unassembled and it's in a big box, and I have two boys, and we just had Christmas, so I'm kind of sick of assembling things that came in boxes unassembled. But what I usually do is I take the box and I open it up and I dump out all the parts, and I'm always kind of quietly hoping that there's not that many parts, and I'm usually terribly disappointed when there's tons and tons and tons and tons of parts. Well, I cut open this box, and uh, I pulled out the instructions, and I was relieved to see that it was, they're very short, um, but then I was disappointed to see that the instructions are just a picture with arrows, That's all that it is. It's not like these very helpful IKEA furniture instructions that are globule human beings and letters and arrows. Have you ever done this? You ever assembled something and you dump out all the parts? And I don't know if you're like me at all, but I I, I like the I I start reading through the instructions when I've got the uh, the parts organized, whether it's Legos or it's a bat cave or it's bunk beds or in my case a shop stool, and I lay out all the parts. And I start working on them one step at a time. That's the nice thing about these instructions, if they're written in a helpful way. Unfortunately, these are not. It's just a picture with arrows. Um, They tell you which one to do first. It's very, very step-by-step. Take this bolt, put it in this place, take this tab, fold it here. Uh, Use five people to lift this up here. Don't use a hammer here. It tells you exactly what to do with the pieces. But there are times I get so over whelmed or confused on the instructions, I have to grab the box again. Do you ever have to do that? You got to like look at the picture and be like, okay, now I get it. This particular circle right here is not supposed to be flipped with the rim down, should be flipped with the rim up. I didn't see that in here. Sometimes I need to go back to the cover and say, won't it be great seven years from now when I get this stool assembled It's going to look like that. It's going to function. It's going to be adjustable. It's going to be shiny, and it's going to have a sheen. There's going to be no scratches on any of these things. I'm actually going to be able to sit in it, and if it's too low, I can make it higher. And if it's too high, I can make it lower. And as long as I'm under 275 pounds, I can use it. I'm so thrilled. Sometimes you got to go back to the cover to remind yourself, to inspire you, to encourage you, sometimes to instruct you, right? Sometimes you say, huh. That actually tells me how all these pieces should be fitting together. So, I mean, I I think we've probably had some kind of experience with directions and covers and pieces and 
parts. And, you know, the Bible informs us that every human being on the planet, without exception, is assembling something. We're taking the pieces that we've been given and we're putting them together in some kind of a way. We're on some step in the process. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have confessed to him that you need to be saved because of sin, if you've confessed to him that you believe in who he is and you believe that he really did live a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he's forgiven you of your sins, if you confess those things, if you surrender and submit to his lordship and he's living in your life through his Holy Spirit, you're working on something too. Problem is, we don't all know what the cover is supposed to look like. What am I really building here? How should, when all these pieces fit together, what is it ultimately working towards in my life? Now, if you're a Christian, there's lo- if I ask you what the cover of the box looks like that's being assembled in your life, I would guess that there's probably some different answers in the room. Some would say, well, it's, Well, it's heaven, or it's Keith Dixon. I should be just like our worship leader, Keith. Right? (laughs) He said amen. (laughs) Yeah, John John says amen. Some would say, well, the box is heaven. That's what I'm working on. I want to prepare you that there are not multiple answers to the question of what should the cover of the box of the believer look like. There's only one answer. There's another thing that people are working on. And so this morning, all I want to do, very simply, I want each of you to be able to leave this place today and know with confidence, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm becoming. I'm becoming a stool. No, (laughs) no. This is what I'm becoming. This is what I'm working on. I want everybody to walk out of here and know that. And I promise you, I, I promise you this. It's very care. I don't want to be an infomercial. If you'll, if you'll just listen to the Lord this morning, you will walk out of here and you'll know and you'll never forget. Today, it's good you're here. This will help you. I want you to know what it looks like, not just what you're making, but I want you to know what it looks like, what it looks like. And then finally, I want you to know how do all the pieces of my life fit together to make this? And if you'll just listen, open up your heart, if you just think, Holy Spirit's going to make it clear to you. And you'll leave here, and you'll know it. You will be encouraged. You will be defined. You will be purposed. You'll be inspired, and you won't forget it. I think it's that simple. So why am I that confident? Because I can look in the Bible and see it. If you want an avalanche of information and research and rabbit trails and all kinds of other scriptures and things that I dug into this week. You can scan that QR code. You can down that, download that, and it will give you nine or ten pages of resources, works cited, articles, podcasts, commentaries that I looked into as I dug into this myself. I want us to, We're going to look at a couple different Bible verses today, but there's two primary ones. Let me give you the first one. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. Who wrote Matthew, by the way? Good. 
Okay, just making sure you're with me. This is, an, this is a few sentences out of a very famous uh, teaching that Jesus offered that we've called the Sermon on the Mount. And just a spoiler alert, uh, beginning in March, we will be studying. That will be our next text that we dig into verse by verse. We're going to study the entire Sermon on the Mount, every verse of it, every sentence. It's powerful, okay? We'll be starting that in March. Here's a familiar passage. I wonder if you've heard this before. Let me just read to you the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew. You can enter God's kingdom. What's the next word? How many different ways into God's kingdom are there? One. Through the narrow what? Gate. Okay, good. He packs so much meaning into every word. The highway to hell. Well, there's a great name for a song for a band. The highway to hell is broad. Now, what about the, 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 the gate to God's kingdom? How, how is that described? So we have contrast. And the gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. Have you heard this before? Right. Have you heard it more than once? Me too. For hundreds of years, there have been a couple riddles wrapped up in these two verses that some of the smartest theologians have tried to unravel. Riddle number one. Is Jesus talking about a road that leads to a gate? Or is he talking about a gate that you pass through and then it leads to a road? Some of you are thinking, I could really care less. (laughs) But if you'll spend some time wondering about that this week, you'll see how significant. In other words, do I walk down a road my whole life hoping that at the end I walk through the gate of Jesus and enter the kingdom of God, or do I walk past through Christ, in Christ, and then I begin a journey in the kingdom of God? Second riddle wrapped up in this. Is Jesus describing one long highway that at one end is really broad and it gradually narrows down like a triangle laying on its side, and at the other end it's narrow, and I'm dropped off in life somewhere in the middle, and I choose which of the two ends of this path, this highway that I walk down. Or is he describing like a person on uh, one of these game shows where they're on the stage and you have door number one and door number two? You have highway number one, highway number two, box cover number one, or box cover number two, and you can pick one or the other. They're not the same path. They're two different paths headed in opposite directions. Those are two huge riddles with some degree of theological importance. I'm not going to answer either of those riddles this morning, but maybe that's something you can study this week. Here's what I can tell you. Regardless of where you land on this, here's what this verse tells us. Every man and woman and boy and girl on the face of the planet, without exception, without exception, right at this very moment is on one of two paths, headed in one of two directions. Everybody. Everybody. We're 
all on a journey on a highway, on a path, or as I like to say, on a continuum. Everybody. And there are simply not many options. There's two. I'm not talking about a career path. I'm not talking about a financial path. I'm not talking about a romantic path or a weight loss journey or an educational track. Those things are measured differently. I'm talking about spiritual path, spiritual highway. Whether you want to imagine it as two different paths, one of two doors, or if you want to imagine it as, as one, kind of the way that I imagine it is the way it's, it's, it's one continuum that heads in two totally opposite directions. Everybody's on this path, and we're all moving in one of two directions. Now, we have some adjectives. The path towards the kingdom of God, the path towards life, what are some of the adjectives we have there? It is what? It's narrow. There's another one in there that's not really exciting. Do you see it towards the end of verse 14? It's difficult. And how many people find it? Few. Few. Now, how about the other, the other one? It's very broad. It's also very wide. How many choose that way? A lot. What that means is that whatever the box cover is on the wide side, that means what does the box cover look like on that side? What are the people moving in that direction, putting the pieces of their life together? What are they using as the final picture? What are they building on that side? Anything they want. Haven't you ever heard this? Be the best version of yourself. If you just work hard, you can be anything you want to be. You do you. Now, that doesn't sound so evil. That doesn't sound like wear red makeup and put on horns and do devil dances. Doesn't that sound popular? Doesn't that sound liberating? You see, going in that direction, going down that path, it's wide, it's broad. It's all about you do what feels right to you. You be who you wanna be. Don't let anybody put labels or define you. You decide who you are sexually. You decide who you are in your gender. You decide who you wanna be in your career. You decide how you wanna express yourself and you embrace laws and people and politics and rules and fashion and lifestyle that fits with what you think is best. It's wide open and nobody should tell you otherwise. That's that direction. Then there's another direction that is comparatively what? It's narrow. Because in that direction, it's, you know what? It's not be whoever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. It's now it's moving you in the direction of a it's moving you in a singular direction. If you don't know Jesus, if you've not experienced him, that sounds horrible. It sounds suppressing. It sounds subjugating. It sounds uh, forceful putting someone under your thumb and stripping you of your rights and making you miserable, like going into jail and they strip you of your fashion and they make you all wear the same thing, eat at the same time. Who wants to do that? That is a, Anybody who says that has not 
meant Christ. But Jesus is very clear. Everybody on the earth, and you this morning, you're on a journey. You've taken the pieces of your life. What do you mean are the pieces of my life? Well, your life, your talents, your gifts, your opportunities, your material possessions, your where you grew up, where you live, your opportunities, your education. You're taking all of the pieces of your life, your physical energy, your intellectual capacity, your emotional, and you're fashioning them together somehow to create some box cover that's in your mind to be the ideal life for you. The Bible says there's only really one of two box covers we're, we're working on. Um, Maybe help if I show you. I actually bought two stools. So, um, and I'm sorry if you can't see this for second service. We'll try and move some of these things around. Um, we're moving in one of two directions. We're either trying to be the best version of ourself that we can be, the self that feels right to me, who I think I ought to be, or the more narrow direction, and this is the one word I want to leave with you today. This is what the box cover looks like, and I'll prove it to you in a moment. It's Christ-likeness. One word, Christ-likeness. If you're on the narrow road in Christ, I just want you to know that all of the pieces of your life, the Holy Spirit is fitting them together and refining them in such a way that you walk like Jesus walked, that you live like Jesus lived, that you feel like Jesus felt, that you resemble him, that you resemble him, that the image of God that he intended for you to bear, that sin destroyed is being remade in your life. And so that you and all your brothers and sisters bear the same family resemblance. Okay. The, the wide way is this way, the popular way. I want you to know which of these two box covers you're working on today. I want you to know. You need to know. You need to know in which direction in life are you moving. Well, I'm not, I'm not really moving anywhere. I'm just kind of floating. You're not floating. You're drifting. And we'll talk about that. In a, because life has a current, like a river, like a stream. And it only moves in one direction. And it doesn't move this way. Your heart does not naturally drift towards Jesus. It drifts towards self. What I think, what I feel, what's best for me. You would be shocked to know how many Christians think they're working on this when in fact they're working on this. Doesn't Jesus also say many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy and cast out demons and do miracles in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Here are people who thought they were working on this box cover when in fact they were working on this one. What they did was they said, there's a few things that I like about this and I'll take those. There's a few things that uh, I don't like so I'm just gonna dismiss them or write them off as history. I'll ignore them. I'll custom, I will customize because that's what feels best to me. Do you see the difference? 
Anybody besides Erica, do you see the difference? Okay, just making sure I'm with you. You're with me. All right, let's keep going. So what does this look like? What does it look like? Well, we said Christ-likeness. What does, what does it look like? First John. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. We can be sure we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a, like this nice politically correct word? That person is a what? It's a liar and is not living in the truth. Here's the, and now here's the other side of the coin. However, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we're living in him. Now, here we go. Here's what the box looks like. If I'm a Christian, here's what the box cover looks like. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. The Apostle John captures what this looks like in one sentence, and we can take that one sentence and make one three-syllable with two suffixes word. Here's what John says. Those who say, I'm on this journey. I'm on a journey of, I'm, I've gone through the, you'll get a little of my idea. I've gone through the gate of Jesus, and now I'm making true progress in my spiritual journey. The kind of progress God desires for me. I've entered the kingdom of God, and I will be entering the kingdom of God. And therefore, I am living my life as Jesus did. Now, is that simple? I want to be very clear. I could go down another rabbit trail, and the rabbit trail's in your notes. I want to be clear about what John is saying. John is not suggesting that you become like the divine Jesus, because you can't. He's a lot of omni words. Omnipotent means... All-powerful, omniscient means all-knowing, omnipresent means everywhere. If I told you that's the goal, we all might as well quit. That's not the goal. We're supposed to walk the way Jesus walked when he was here. Fully divine, but fully human. When he became like you and I. When he became vulnerable to all the temptations. That's our example. We're not going to be morally perfect. We're not going to be perfectly sinless. But what John is saying is that if I am in Christ, there should be an observable resemblance between Jesus' moral behavior, his ethical behavior, his devotion to God, his obedience to his Father, his compassion for others. There should be an ongoing, increasing resemblance between the way Jesus walked on this earth and the way you and I walk on this earth. Does that make sense to you? Okay, can't tell? We'll keep going. So here's a big idea. Let me put it all together. Let me put these two verses together for you. Everyone on the face of the earth is on a spiritual journey. All of us. You're probably on some other journeys too. An educational journey, a health journey, a vocational journey, a career journey. But there is one journey that encompasses all others. And in the hierarchy, it's at the top. And that's your spiritual journey. The ideal destination of that journey that everyone's on is, can be expressed in a single word, Christ-likeness. When you leave here today, I want you to know this much. What is my life supposed to really look like as a Christian? 
Is it supposed to look like this person over here who's always exuberant and is always bouncy and is always smiley and is always doing cartwheels and backflips and life is mountaintop after mountaintop after mountaintop? Is that what is that what this is supposed to look like? Is it supposed to look like this sister over here who knows the New Testament inside and out can quote everything forwards and backwards? Is it like this supposed to be like this person every year who God has blessed materially and they give so much money away and they're just successful financially and it's tons and tons and tons of money, so much they don't know what to do with it, and they're just giving it all away. What is it supposed to look like? The answer is Christ-likeness. When you study your own life spiritually, and if I ask you today, how healthy are you spiritually? There's a basis on which we all are going to try and answer that question. That's a very interesting question because I can learn a lot about what box cover you're working on by how you answer that question. You say, I'm doing really good. I have not missed church in six months. Okay. Well, I know some of your box cover then. The life I'm working on is one where I'm never absent. I have perfect attendance in church or I'm pretty healthy. I haven't, you know, there's this one sin that I've been trying to overcome, and it's been three and a half years since I stumbled in that area. I'm doing really, really well. Well, I know kind of what your box cover looks like. It's a, you know, it's, it's a dashboard with some, with achievement, a little, like a little vial that's every, every day that you go without sinning. You, you're, man, the one day, though, that you may stumble, was all that progress lost, and now you say, I'm doing terrible, Pastor. I would say to you that it's difficult to measure Christ-likeness by just looking in one, at one picture. You've got to look at the cover, but you've got to look at a series of pictures over time. If I asked you, you know, some, a lot of you know my five-year-old. If I asked you, has he, you saw him last week, right? Yeah. Has he grown in the last week? Well, I don't know. Has he grown in the last month? Maybe. Has he grown in the last year? Oh, absolutely. Why? You have to look at it over a longer period of time. So the question is, how do I know I'm on the right track? If Christ-likeness are the way the pieces of my life are supposed to fit together, they're supposed to fit together in a way that resembles him, not fit together in a way that resembles me. Fit together in a way that brings attention to him, not fit together in a way that brings glory to me. If the pieces of my life are supposed to fit together that way, How do I even know what step I'm on? Well, you don't. The question is, based on when you had a big pile of parts, can you look back at that moment and say, there was a moment in my life where I was just a big pile of parts, or maybe I was a fully assembled stool. And then I said, but that's how I should look. And I'm not comfortable being this far away from that. Because that's really where our heart changes towards Jesus. You have to come to a place where you are discontent with his absence. Because what happens there is something called appetite begins. And I promise you, those of you who are on this journey and you know that you are. Pastor, I didn't even know I was on this journey. Does that mean I'm way back here? The beautiful thing is that you don't even have to have all the right vocabulary. (laughs) Because as you'll see over the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to look back over your shoulder and say, I'm experiencing 
movement towards Christ-likeness in my life, and I didn't even know that it was happening this way, but looking back over my shoulder, I say, that's exactly how it's been happening. Isn't it awesome that you can be making progress in the way? It's almost like when you go this way, you're not the one doing the building. Because the only way you move in this direction is if you put the tools and the pieces in the hands of a different builder. And the only way you move in this direction is if you refuse to give them up. I really need to write that down. <laughs> I did, hopefully I get that at 11 o'clock too, so it'll live on and the internet forever. Um, where was I? Okay, uh, back to the notes. I'm on that miraculous uh, single word. Christ-likeness, John Stott, Drew Picture, Introduce Continuum, have done that way out of order. Okay. Oh, so what is he like then? Well, we said Christ-likeness, that's awesome. So does that mean we all have to grow long hair and a beard? You know, that's out for me. Some of you ladies are already like, this is, I'm done, right? You know, and I'm never going to be Arabic or Middle Eastern, so I'm, I'm in a bad spot. What is he like? What was he like when he was on earth? I'll just give you a few things. He is love. Love. Perfect love. Love isn't something Jesus did or felt just exclusively. It's something he is. He was perfectly obedient to God. He always, always, always told the truth. He never lied. He never manipulated. He never withheld unnecessarily. He was a faithful friend. He's motivated by compassion. He cares deeply for people in need. He forgives, like Pastor Zach said, and he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. Father, forgive them. They know not what. He forgave the people who killed him while they were killing him in front of them as they mocked him for doing it, even though they weren't repentant. If he can do that, he can help us do that. He's perfect in wisdom. He's a humble servant, but a confident leader. He was content with his material class in life. His priorities were perfectly ordered. He was able to balance properly prayer, work, play, and rest. He knew when to speak up and when to be silent, when to ask questions and when to make statements. He was always patient and never anxious, just for starters. That's who he was, and that's who he is. And wouldn't you like to be like that? Everybody on the face of the earth wants to be like that. There is a spiritual hunger and appetite in all of us for those things specifically, while at the same time, there is a drift in our heart that says we want those things specifically, but not from God. We don't want the real God. We want to get there this way. If I can just look this way, be that way, know this much, have this much power, then I can be all of those things together. That's not how it works. It's only... One way where that is truly available in us. That's what Christ looks like. So here's the other question, though. And I, and I, I feel a little bad asking this, but I feel like I have to. Is Christ-likeness truly something you want? Do you really desire that? And why am I even asking that? Because the stronger desire always wins. If you'll study the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you'll come to the same conclusion that I have. 
the foundational building block, the one thing that differentiates people who are finding fulfillment in this direction from those who aren't is simply this, desire. You either, you want to be like him most, or there's at least something you want more than that. And that something will always win out. It's simply a matter of appetite, of desire. And how can you be hungry for something you've never tasted? This is why, oh, how, I need to be careful here. I'm opening up a box, and I'll open it, I'll close it. If you carefully read through the Psalms, you will find out that finding God is never the result of seeking him. Seeking God is always the result of having found him. Close box. That's why when I say, do you even desire this? It's logical for you to say, well, pastor, not really. Because I've never met this God you're talking about. How can I crave something I've never tasted? How can I really want to be around someone I've never even met, don't even know who they are? And you will find the more you walk this direction, when you start moving this direction, what you're saying is, man, when I got saved, I felt X. I felt forgiveness. I felt joy. I felt elation. When I was in that room and made that strong, godly friendship, I felt this way. I am moving this direction because I want more of this. Not wrong with that, but what I'll tell you is that will mature. And after a while, you say, forget about all the this. The this is great. I want more of him. Even if the this isn't there that day. Close lid on that box too, okay? If nothing changes today, you'll end up exactly in which direction you're headed. That's the bottom line. You'll either end up ultimately being made in the image of Christ, or you'll end up ultimately receiving the reward for spending your life building yourself as you want to be built. Let me ask it a different way. If you, if you could populate a planet, this is a fun game to play. If you had a blank blue marble and you could populate the planet with people, you get to populate them with one or the other kind, two different groups of people. You can populate a whole planet with people like this, okay? You say, listen, people on this planet can be whoever they want to be, however they want to be it, based on whatever feels right to each individual person. Who they want, where they want, how they want. Whatever makes them happy, whatever feels good or feels right to them, go after it. Or everybody on that planet is going to be like Christ. Loving, Forgiving, compassionate, available to others in need, humble and confident, knows when to speak up and when to be quiet, knows when to make statements, when to make answers, perfectly obedient to God, ethical, righteous, holy. Which planet do you want to live on? Rest my case. (laughs) Which planet do you want to live on? 
This is not a bad thing to desire. <laughs> it's the best thing to desire. Because really, at the end of the day, I want my friends in my life to be like this. And most people say, I want friends like this as long as I can be like this. That's not how it works. One of two directions. So I guess, Pastor, now that there's 10 minutes left, can you tell me how? Yeah. So where are you going? I hope Christ-likeness. How do I know if I'm on the right track? Is your, or the snapshots of your life over time gradually resembling Christ and how you love, how you forgive, how you respond to people in need, your obedience to God, your proximity to him, the balance of your life. Jesus' life was perfectly ordered with respect to priorities. Can you look back over your life and say, you know, man, I feel like I'm in the weeds right now and I don't know, but can you look back over the last five years and say, but there's been progress? If so, glory be to God, because as you'll find out in a second, he did it with your cooperation. How do I do this? Very, very, very simple. I'll show it to you. 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is awesome. So all of us who have had that veil removed, have to, just don't even open that lid, do that later, okay, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Oh, I wish I could go back there because there's a difference here between what Moses did and what we can do, and what we can do is better, but I don't have time. All of us who have had the veil of sin removed can now see and reflect the glory of the Lord. I hope you can grab that statement. Just chew on that this week. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed, Greek word for metamorphosis, same word for transfiguration, into his glorious image. How do I do justice to what Paul just wrote? The answer to the question, how do I become Christ-like? How do I take the pieces and fit them together like Christ? I guess I gotta get the instructions out, which is the Bible, and then I need to look at the pieces of my life, and I need to just figure it out. How do I, what effort do I need to invest in putting my life together in such a way through trying and effort and straining and YouTube and all these other things that need to help me? How do I, this verse answers, how do I become like Christ? And it's underlined for you. How do you become like Christ? It's in here. I hope you see this. This will change you if you grab it. It'll change you forever if you grab this. How do you become like Christ? God makes you like him through the Spirit. He does it. You don't. The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him. And well, how do I know? You are gradually transfigured into his image. The moment you're saved, 1 Corinthians 6 says, the Holy Spirit is fused together with your spirit. And what the author is describing is that Christ-likeness, authentic Christ-likeness, is only something that happens in you happens inside you, and it makes its way out. Authentic Christ-likeness is the handiwork of the Holy Spirit. It is not the result of your hard work. I wrote it down better. Let me read it. Christ-likeness is not the result of my work on me. It is always the result of surrendering to the Holy Spirit's work in me. Here's what it just means in simplest form. 
Christ-likeness means here's the stool. Here's the pieces. Here's the tools. I put them in your hands. I will surrender and cooperate. You put me together the way that I need to be put together. If I've assembled anything, that's not in the way that you think it should look. I give you permission to smash it and break it and remold me and remake me because only you can make me this way. If you're going to be like Christ, I want you to know this. You cannot make yourself that way. That's what this direction is all about. I can make myself into something God can accept. I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. I don't need relationships. I don't need Bible. I don't need Holy Spirit. I can do it without God. This way says, I can only do it through Christ. That should be a relief to you. So pastors, does that mean I just live a passive lifestyle where I do nothing, think nothing, say nothing? I just walk through life like a mindless automaton. No, 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 no. There's still effort you and I bring to this equation. And it's found in the relationship between these six words. I can basically introduce these to you, and then I'll close them. I just want to introduce to you six words, six vocabulary words that I hope beginning today you can use to describe your own journey spiritually because it'll help you get more specific about where you're going in what direction you're moving at what pace you're moving first two words it's the relationship between these two directions is remaining versus becoming Remain means to to stay as I am, unchanged, resistant to movement. That's the journey of self. However, we just read, if Christ-likeness is going to be the box cover I'm working on, it is only something I can become. It is not something I am. But I used I-N-G words because that means it's always in motion. You're never done. On this side of the earth, we're never quite there. It's not like, well, I've finished reading my Bible. I've prayed 365. I haven't sinned in two years. I am there. I've grown a beard. I wear a cloak. I've learned some magic tricks with fish and bread. Walking on water, not going as well, but I'm working on that. No. It is becoming indicates a process. There's more on this in your notes um, other than to say this. Why is God so fixated on Christ-likeness? Of all the things he could have picked, why this? This deserves a 10-part sermon. I can't give it to you, but I'll just, I, I I'll just say it in this statement. One word. Why Christ-likeness? One word. This is why it's this important. Family. That's why. God designed people in a family to bear a re- physical resemblance, behavioral resemblance to each other. Parents produce children who, in God's design, sort of kind of look like the parents. Because of sin, the imago Dei, the image of God, has been 
not completely lost, but it's been smudged pretty bad in our life. And the reason why he's trying to bring us into this new, he's, he defines us as family. We're brothers and sisters with no hierarchy. And you're like, well, we don't look alike. Exactly. God's not trying to make us all look the same physically. But the, where, where does it say here? Romans 8, 29. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so his son could be the big brother, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You know what that means? Jesus wants us to have some core characteristics that are just like him so that we can identify and look together like a family. So you can run into someone in an airport who you've never met, and you find out they know Jesus, you carry on like long-lost brothers and sisters. Why? Because of Jesus because of Christ-likeness. I can go to other countries and be around people who don't speak my language, but we're together and we're instant brothers. We're instant, we're instant siblings. There's an instant connection there. Why? Because there is a Christ-likeness that, that it's hard to put into words, but you experience that when you're near other people who are in this family. Ultimately, when we get to heaven, we will be a perfect family. This is a dress rehearsal for that, and it's what the world needs to see. The world needs to see there are some common characteristics that unite all Christians all over the world, and those characteristics are not just doctrinal or theological. They are Christ. Christ in his likeness. The world is craving to be part of that. And Romans 8 tells us the reason God wants us to become Christ-like, the reason he wants to restore that image is so that it'll truly be obvious that Jesus is the big brother among many brothers and sisters so that we'll look like our dad and our brother. Have you ever grabbed onto Jesus being your brother? And what that looks like in a will and an inheritance. Okay, put the lid on the box. All right, I've got to finish up. Um, next two words. Drifting and drawing. Drifting. Drawing. Don't have a lot of time other than to say, imagine there is a river. When I was in Royal Rangers, when I grew up, we went canoeing every year on the Susquehanna River. And I knew my commanders, as tough as they were on us, loved us because they always plotted our course to go along with the current. They knew which way the current went. It went from here to here. And so they did not start day one here and say, we're going to go that way. Could we have gotten there? Yeah. But they knew it would be much easier if we started here and went that way. Because you know how hard you have to paddle in the current to move? You don't have to. You can just put the oar in the boat. Now, you might not move fast. But when you put the canoe in the water and there's already a current, which way are you going? You're going with the current. Well, pastor, I'm not really actively doing this or that. I'm just, I'm, I'm neutral. All that means is you're not paddling, but you're moving. The current of the world, I wish I had time to read all these verses, I don't. The current of the world never moves in this direction. Your flesh does not like sitting in church for 90 minutes when you could be doing other things. Your flesh does not like spending 15, 20, 30 minutes a day studying the Bible. Your flesh does not like saying no to different desires. Your flesh does not like sitting in God's presence for an hour. It doesn't, but your spirit loves it. What does that mean? It just means that if you do nothing, I'm just coasting along, Pastor. You know what? You're drifting. And you're not drifting towards Jesus. You're always going to be drifting back towards this. Always, always. But what does James write? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The opposite of drifting is drawing. 
That means I need to do something. I need to paddle. And when I'm paddling in this direction, there's always going to be things in the other current that are going to want to convince me to stop paddling and carrying me this way. All of Christian drawing near to God is like that. There's always going to be plenty of reasons that are going to bubble up in life to convince you to, to not make those, to not put in that cooperation, to not do the surrender, to not draw near to Christ. But when you think about describing your own spiritual journey, is it one of becoming? Is it one of drawing? Is it one of remaining? Is it one of drifting? Last two words. Resisting versus surrendering. Hebrews 3, 14 and 15. If we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we'll share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. So here's the question. What effort do I bring to the table here? I'll give you two words. We'll build on these in the next couple weeks. The effort that I bring is cooperation and surrender. That's the effort. That's what I bring to the Lord. I bring cooperation and surrender. And it's just like I said earlier. It's basically saying, Lord, I acknowledge I have been taking all the pieces in life you've given me. I've been assembling them as the way, the way that I thought. And to be honest, up to this point, I thought it looked pretty good. However, I am now aware of another way. I have met the one who is the way. And now this doesn't look so good anymore. And so I surrender by saying, you are definitely the more qualified builder of the two of us. You are the Lord. That's what lordship means. I stop building the cover that I want the way that I want. Lordship says, I trust you love me and you know better, you know best, and you're the better builder of the two of us. So not only here are the parts and the tools, here's everything I've built so far. I put it in your hands and, and I'm just, I'm here. I choose to cooperate. The opposite of cooperate is what? Resist. It's like getting my five-year-old dressed before school. I got to tell you, it is. He's opposite of the 10-year-old. The 10-year-old, when the alarm, his alarm and my alarm are synced, I don't have to say a word to him. The boy gets himself up. He gets himself dressed. He combs his hair. Then I improve it. Then he, he, I, he gets his own breakfast. He packs his lunch. He's, I, don't have to say, I don't have to say a word to him. He gets it done. The five-year-old, total opposite. Have you ever tried to dress someone like a child who was not cooperating? I'm not even, I would settle for neutral. Like just lay still, like I would love for him to get up and dress himself and I try every day, I promise, please don't send me emails about it. Just look, I try until the point of crisis. And then it's like, listen, if I decide that today is gonna be the day I teach him a lesson, I'm gonna be late for work, he's gonna be late for school. I've waited as long as I can, we're down the last minute. I'm gonna have to just, I've laid the clothes out, I've picked them out, I'm gonna now have to put them on him. And if he would just at least lay still or at least hand me his foot, he starts kicking and wiggling. Do you know how hard it is to put socks on a five-year-old who is resisting you? I'm trying to put the shirt on and he's trying to not get it on. Guess who usually wins? Well, I usually win eventually. Do you know how frustrating it is to try and clothe somebody who's resisting it? When Jeremiah was told to go down to watch the potter in Jeremiah chapter 18, God says, go down, I'm going to teach you something. He looks in the window, he sees the potter. He's got clay 
on the wheel and it's spinning around. And worship team, you can come and I didn't even think about how to move all this stuff out of your way. I'll just stack it up right here. Um, he's, he's, uh, this is how last minute this was. I didn't think through this. My apologies. He goes and he looks through the window. I won't be able to make the chairs disappear without a colossal distraction. So maybe one of you can help me with that. You got me? Okay. He looks through the window and the, and the clay's on the wheel and the potter's, you know, trying to form it. And what happens? The Bible says the potter saw that the clay was not moving into the form that he wanted it to. And so he had to smash it all down and start all over. You and I are the clay. Becoming Christ-like means that you and I have to stop fighting the hands of the potter. You can be saved and on your way to heaven and still say, there's some things in my life God's trying to form in me that I am resisting. I'm on my way to heaven, but I recognize in this season of my life, I've taken the oar out of the water, I put it in the boat, and I'm just kind of coasting. I'm just kind of drifting. I've made some progress. I can look at my life. But if I'm really honest, this season of my life looks more like me remaining. I've kind of dug my heels and I'm in the season of my life. And it really boils down to those six words. Becoming versus remaining. Drawing versus drifting. Surrendering. Versus resisting. Here's my growth questions for you this morning. Did I give those to you guys in the back? Guys in the back, guys and gals in the back. That's a joke from earlier today. Here's your questions. Number one, of the six words we consider today, which words would you use to describe your journey? There are a couple of them that stick out for you. Second question, what direction are you moving? I hope that we know now, here's, here's the answers we want to be true of us, I think. Which, what are we working on? Christ-likeness. How do we know? My life looks like his. Which direction am I moving? Towards him. How do the pieces of my life fit together? The Holy Spirit does it. And I cooperate and surrender. Which direction are you moving? Number three. What adjustments do you need to make? Actually, I didn't say need to. I said like to. What do you desire? I hope I've given you some food for thought. I hope some things have become clear to you. Let's pray today. Don't know everybody's story. Faces look pretty familiar to me for the most part. I do want to ask, though, is today the day that you say, I recognize that I have been assembling the pieces of my life together as I see fit. And now that I've really met Jesus, I feel something, a new desire growing in my heart to be like him, to be with him. To hand over the pieces and the tools and the things I've produced in my life and put them in his hands. And my life is no longer one of self-leadership. It's cooperation. It's surrender. I want to I enter through the gate of Jesus. 
And I want to receive his Holy Spirit so that he can continue to build me into God's initial design for my life, which is to be the image of God himself through Jesus Christ. All that requires of us is belief and repentance. We have to believe we need to be saved because we're sinful. We want to rule ourselves without God. We want to do as we see fit. We've rejected him in that way. We've made ourselves the Lord rather than acknowledge his lordship. We need to repent for that. If you believe that that's true of you, then you also will embrace the good news. The good news is that if you believe in Jesus Christ being the one who has paid that debt off on your behalf through his perfect sinless life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, and you believe he can and will save you if you ask, then today's the day of repentance for you. You turn away from living, being your own builder, and you surrender to the master builder. Believe and repent. Okay, pastor, I'm ready. Then just tell Jesus that. You confess that to him, what I just said. Just confess that to him, that you're a sinner. You're ready to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. You know Jesus can and he will, so you're asking. Today's your day of repenting, turning away from leading yourself and surrendering to him. Just tell him that. Use your own words. Just a simple prayer. If you need more guidance, Jesus, I know I need to be saved because I've sinned against you. Only you can save me. Please forgive me. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you've paid the debt off for me through your life, death, resurrection. I'm turning to you now. You are the Lord. I'm just a life in your hands. Lead me. Make me into who you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, you're gloriously saved. All I ask is something that you do that's brave. You don't have to do this to be saved. It's not a qualification or requirement. We just love to celebrate with you. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I'm going to count to three. All I ask, would you just slip up your hand and make eye contact with me? You can put it right back down. Who prayed with me? One, two, three. Awesome. Thank you, sweetheart. Awesome. Anyone else? Praise his name. Praise you, Jesus. Heavenly Father. I invite you to continue the work you've started in me of helping me understand. Um, I know Christ-likeness is in the center of my heart and probably the overwhelming majority of the people in here. Help us. Make us. Show us where we still resist. Show us where we tend to drift. Show us where we still have not totally surrendered in order that we can experience the fullness of you living in us. We have tasted and we've seen the goodness of God. That's what we crave because it draws us closer to you. And bonus, it draws us closer to our brothers and sisters. It's attractive. I want my life not to be attractive to me. I want it to be attractive for you. So I must continue on this way. Encourage, inspire, equip. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.